Welcome back. Welcome back, Grace Point, in the, in the sense that July 12th, we'll be back together again. We'll be offering one gathering on Sunday mornings. We'll still have our online presence. You can still watch us online if you're traveling on vacation or just not quite ready to come back. But I know a lot of you are ready to come back. And we are ready for you to come back. We're ready to get back together again. And on July 12th, we're going to have uh, our worship gatherings only. No children's ministry, no preschool ministry, none of that. Bring your own coffee. We need to, we're going to be really cautious and be really wise about what we do. And we've been really wise all along. Man, when you come in the building, you're going to see hand sanitizers everywhere. We're going to give every family a personalized copy or a personalized hand sanitizer, this logo. So it's holy hand sanitizer. Think about it like that. And you're going to get a, get some of that. We're going to make sure you can wear a mask or we'll have some masks provided for you. It's completely up to you. We want to provide a space that's clean, that's safe, that you can come with a family and set together as a family. And we have a lot more that we want to give you on that. And we're going to have a lunch and learn this Wednesday. If you're part of our Grace Point family page, noon on Wednesday, we're going to be having a lunch and learn. So you won't want to miss that. Lots of facts, lots of information on how we're coming back. But also, if you want to reserve your spot, we need to kind of know a head count so we can kind of proportion people out. Again, right now we're only having a 910 gathering. But if you will text relaunch to 97000, that will help us to have a head count to prepare to make sure things are clean and ready to go as you come back. Again, Lunch and Learn this Wednesday. Tune in, be a part of that, and uh, we will get things going. But also, welcome back to me. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Hope you've enjoyed Joey and Caleb last week uh, breaking the Word of God open for us in a great time. I spend this time, pull aside every year, disconnect, get away from the noise and the pollution of this world, and listen in prayer and fasting with God, just asking God, where are you leading? What are you doing? And man, I tell you what, my heart has come back full. I've got clarity and direction of where I think God's leading us. And I'm excited about the fall and just even into 2021, I'm excited about where God is taking us. And one of the the sneak peek, if you will, of one of the places we're going to be going in the fall is we're going to be doing a study through the book of Proverbs. Listen, everyone knows it, that our land is in need of healing today. We need a healing in our land today, but we also need wisdom for our future pathway tomorrow. And we need wisdom who we're voting for, where are we going, how are we going to make decisions as a family, how's our business going to function in this day and age. And we're going to lean in and listen to wise King Solomon who wrote 3,000 Proverbs. We only have a third of them, but we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs together. In fact, even today, we're going to kind of do our first little sneak peek at what a proverb is. A proverb is this densely packaged up content of wisdom and insight that helps us to make wise decisions and discern things through life. And so be finding in your Bibles, Proverbs 14. We'll come back to James next week, but Proverbs 14 today, as we look at this today, we're going to be doing a lot this summer, or excuse me, this fall in Proverbs, even having a 40 days of prayer and fasting for our nation as we head into our election. Our nation, we need wisdom. We need healing. We're going to be seeking God for that. 
in the future and in the days ahead. So welcome back, Grace Point. Welcome, uh, welcome back myself, and but also welcome back a holiday of holidays. July 4th weekend. Man, here we are, and it is the holiday that marks all patriotism across America. Nothing says America more than July 4th, fireworks, hot dogs, everything that we do on this holiday. Man, do you think about the real meaning of this day and this real meaning of this for our nation? In a time when our nation's got so much turmoil, let's go back to the beginning. Back when the founders wrote our Constitution, what was their big vision for our nation? The very first words in the preamble of the Constitution, maybe you memorized it, I know I did in government class in high school, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, we, we, you, me, all of us, if you call yourself American, whether you came over on a boat, your family came over on a boat, a plane, a train, or an automobile, however you landed on this soil, and if you call yourself an American, whether you came as a slave or you came as a free person, whether you have been here for one generation or 15 generations, the reality is, is that God has called us or we are together as a nation and we the people in order to form a more perfect union. But here's what we also got to realize. Before that constitution was written, there was a declaration of independence that was given. And that was given years before the constitution was written. And that's what on this July 4th we are memorizing and we are commemorating is whenever our founding fathers in their ragtag rebel kind of way declared from the great colonial power that we're independent of you. And I tell you what, there's not a more liberal document that was written than that document that was written on that day. You probably, again, studied it in school, so let's say it together. The words appear on the screen in front of you. So say it with me. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is what our founding fathers put a stake in the ground and said, that's what our nation needs to be about. That's what we are about, that all men, women, children are created equal. Now, in the beginning, they weren't talking about all men, women, and children. They were very, uh, very limited. They were about white Protestant men. And it began to expand to be about white Protestant and Catholic men. And then in 1920, uh, 1920, the women were given right to vote. It took a number of years before we expanded it to that it was about Protestant men and Catholic men and women. And then it was in 1924 that we, before we ever recognized as a nation, sadly, that even the Native Americans, the ones who were here before 1776, the ones here before the pilgrims ever came, that they were finally given the rights of an American citizenship. And it was not until Jim Crow laws were taken down and repealed in 1964 when the civil rights uh, was put into place that blacks were given the right. So you can see over time that our, our, our coming together, our equality as a nation has been becoming more and more real. And that's a good thing for America. When you look out and you watch our nation right now, 
you wonder, or how healthy are we? When I have refugee friends, as I shared a few weeks ago, contacting me, asking me, Mike, are you okay in your nation? There are refugees left war-torn countries asking me if I'm safe. There's something not right about that. We've got some hard questions to answer. Question number one is, what will make America great? What will really be the barometer, the leading indicators, the lagging indicators that America is a great nation, is a great nation? In 2016, President Trump used that slogan of make America great again, and it was an $86 million investment of the, of the Republican Party to put him in office around that statement. But here, here's the, here's the innovation clue. That wasn't new with him. President Reagan in 1980 used a very similar statement whenever he said, let's make America great again. So you see there that presidents have been running on this campaign that I want to help make America great. That begs the question, what is greatness? What makes America great? When are we great? Is it when our 401ks are through the roof? Is it when unemployment is is nil and void? Is it whenever racism is dead? What will make us great? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 14.34, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness, say it with me, exalts a nation. You want to make a nation great, exalted, high up? Guess what? Make sure righteousness marks that nation. What does God expect from our leaders? He expects righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation. He expects righteousness even in our leaders. Presidents, congressmen, mayors, In our churches, he expects righteousness. Proverbs 16, verse 12. It is an abomination to the kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. Two proverbs are yelling at us, screaming at us today, telling us, you want to be great? You know what greatness is? It is righteousness. Jesus even affirmed it whenever he was telling uh, his disciples, quit worrying about all the distractions of this world, all the things that can suck you in. He says, what I want you to focus on is righteousness. When he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be taken care of. And that's in Matthew 6.33. So I want you to see a theme here. Righteousness is an undeniable, it is an irreducible minimum to what will make America great again. We cannot get away from righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is one of those churchy words that we use and we don't really know what it means. Many times we use it almost in a derogatory frame of reference whenever it might refer to self-righteousness. But righteousness is actually a beautiful word. There is this righteousness that God gives us. He imputes righteousness onto our account. Whenever He makes us right, I don't make myself right. So one thing is righteousness is to be right, be right with God, be in right relationship. You know what it's like when you're in a relationship and it's right and you know what it's when it's not right. 
Well, whenever you're in a right relationship with God, things are firing on cylinders, on all cylinders. Things are good between you and God. Your prayers are being answered. You're in a right relationship with God. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there, right here, he tells us, you want to get rid of unrighteousness? Confess your sins. We as a nation need to own and confess our sins if we're going to be a righteous nation. You and I as an individual need to own and confess our sins if we're going to be righteous. But God makes us righteous. So it's being right, but it's also doing right. Once you're being right, see... Our doing flows out of our being. Now, you even heard last week Caleb talk about faith without works is dead. Basically, if you are righteous, then you will do a righteous life. You will live a righteous life. You will do what righteousness is. When our founding fathers founded our nation, they founded it on a biblical truth. Now, were they a perfect people? No. Some were slave owners. Some, some people were deists. They didn't have strong theology. But they did believe that there was a moral fabric that we needed to have. In fact, John Adams said like this. He said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. That means basically our constitution was built under the premise that it is for a holy and righteous people. When I think about the phrase endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, and I think about people in our world today and I see injustice that's out there and I go, listen, I can't put up with that. If I am a righteous person, I can't put up with unrighteousness. A part of my standing up for righteousness is doing right, being right with God, but doing right for others. And standing up for the injustices of the world. And when you look out there and you see people hurting, I need to hurt with them. You see people crying, I need to cry with them. When you see people saying, my life doesn't matter, I need to say your life matters. That's why I say black life matters. Yeah, I don't, I'm not believing in the organization Black Life Matters. I'm believing in the statement Black Life Matters. Just like one day I will say Latinos' life matters. Blue lives matters. But right now we have people who are questioning whether or not their lives even matter. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Weep with those who are weeping. And right now those who are weeping are African Americans across our land. And my friends, it is, inju- it is unjust and it is unrighteous for me not to walk with them, mourn with them, and seek justice with them. Look at the words of Isaiah the prophet. When Isaiah was dealing with a people who thought everything was in order with them and God, and this is what Isaiah said. He says, they still come every day to worship me. Sounds like good people, right? Every Sunday morning, they're showing up online. They're giving their offerings. They're doing their service projects in the community. They may even teach in the Sunday school when the Sunday school opens back up, or Sabbath school in their case. Acting as if they want to learn my ways. They pretend to be a nation that lives right and obeys the commands of their God. 
They ask me to judge them fairly. They want their God to be near them. That sounds like an awesome group of people, right? The very next words are a few, a verse later in verse four, it says, but God says, you do things to please yourself on those special days of fasting. You punish your servants, not your own bodies. You are hungry, not for food. You are hungry for arguing and fighting, not for bread. You are hungry to pit people with your, to hit people with your evil hands. This is not the way to fast if you want your prayers to be heard in heaven. Wow. It's not enough to go through the motions of righteousness. I need to live righteous. I need to be righteous. I need to look for righteousness because why? Righteousness exalts a nation. And if we want a righteous nation, we need righteous people from the very top to the very bottom. From the president to the illegal immigrant that's in our borders right now. We need righteousness all the way through. So the first question is what will make America great? We got to have a vision out there for where we're going. But I think there's a second question we cannot miss. And that is what will keep America from being great? What will keep America from being great? He said, righteousness exalts a nation. So there it is. He tells us plain and simple. Greatness is tied to righteousness. If you don't do righteousness, if you don't live righteous, if you aren't a righteous person, if you don't have righteous leaders, if you don't have righteous laws, if you don't have, if you're not built around the righteous principles of God, then you will never achieve righteousness. But he also says something that will keep us. It's a hurdle. It's a hindrance. It's a, it's a ball and chain that if we do not address it, it will constantly keep us from being the great nation that we want to be. David recognized it. David, Solomon's father, calls it out in, in Psalm chapter one, verse six, when he says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of a righteous nation, but he knows the, but the way of the wicked nation, they're going to perish. There is a, correlation, causation there, that if we are not a righteous nation, we will crumble. The way Solomon says it is he says, but sin is a reproach to any people. So again, whether it's wickedness, David calls it, or sin, in which which Solomon calls it, those are the those are the common grounds there that will destroy a people, a nation, a country, a, an institution, a church. Those things will tear us down. The word reproach to any people Sin is a reproach to any people is the word for embarrassing humiliation. You want embarrassing humiliation across a nation, across a land, across an office, across an institution, across a church? Let sin reside in there. Don't address it. Don't deal with it. It is one of the wickednesses of this world that will tear us down. And so we just got to call it what it is. We can't powder coat it. We can't whitewash it. We can't rename it. We can't want to steer away from it. We've got to call sin what sin is. And I know that's hard for us in a world where we get numbed by the world and we get the, 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 the moral ethics are being rewritten constantly. I'm reading a book right now by Cornelius Plantinkin. And... 
this book, I, I call this guy the kind of the expert on sin because, man, the depth and the breadth of what he's sharing in this book is, 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 is incredible. This is the way he describes sin. Now listen to this. It's a self-deception about sin as a narcotic. A narcotic. A tranquilizing and disorienting suppression to our spiritual central nervous system. Spiritual central nervous system, the thing that radiates signals and, and, and sends messages throughout our spiritual body. But yet, when you enter sin, what it does is it's a narcotic. It tranquilizes. It disorients. It's a deception. How does that look? And how does that look in our life? We are tranquilize our minds when we don't look out there and see the racial tension and hatred that's marking our land right now. When we excuse it off, we, we are, we are ignoring it. We are tranquilizing our mind. Whenever we call a fetus a blob of tissue and we don't recognize that, that as early as six weeks in the womb, that little fetus, which by the way is a 14th century Latin word for meaning newborn, that little fetus, that little baby is no, no, no larger than my than my pinky fingernail, than a blueberry. There's a mother in our church right now who's six weeks pregnant. And she heard the heartbeat for the first time the other day. And it's no bigger than a blueberry. But she heard the heartbeat. Listen, my friends, we live with a, with a narcotic hallucination when we call it a blob of tissue. When we contribute to the ambiguity of gender identity and, and we, we call this non-binary and we call this, this is my gender of birth, but then this is the gender I identify with. We add to the ambiguity. We add to the confusion. We add, instead of, it leads to that disoriented life of which what sin is. It disorients our life. But here, my friend, listen to this. What if this was the narrative that we told ourselves? I am made in the image of God. That when God made me, He made me in His likeness. And that when God made me, He made me distinctly male, distinctly female. He put males with females to marry and to become one body, soul, and spirit. That, listen, we don't rewrite the moral code. That we live with God's standard. That is what we must do if we are going to deal with sin in our land. Because sin is a reproach to America. And it will keep America from being great. Two axioms of sin that we've got to realize about all humanity is that we are all sinners. Mike McDaniel sitting in front of you today is a sinner in need of a Savior. Even David, whenever he was born, he said, in my mother's womb, she conceived me into sin. Matthew 51, uh, Psalm 51, verse 5, in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul said, there's not a righteous person out there, not even one. Righteousness is the key word. How do we become righteous? Because Jesus makes us righteous. And that leads me to the second axiom, is that through a surrendered personal relationship with Jesus. Can we be set free? Set free to be made righteous. Set free to be made whole. Having been set free from sin in Romans 6.18, 
we have become slaves of righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation. I'd rather be a slave to righteousness any day of the week. And if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed, John chapter 8 says. See, Jesus doesn't just call out our sin. He calls us out from our sin. When He calls out our sin, He's not shaming us. He's calling us out from it. He's identifying it, pointing to it to call us out from it. Righteousness makes a nation great, makes a people great, makes a family great, makes a church great, makes a community great. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. What we do across our land is incredible. Sin, because of its numbing, narcotic effect, self-deception of the brain and the spiritual central nervous system, what happens is we begin to normalize a sin. We normalize it. When we normalize it, we get enough people behind it, then we legalize it. Once we legalize it, then we spiritualize it. We say, it's okay with the government, so it must be okay with God. That's my excuse. I'm going to do it. We normalize, we legalize, and we spiritualize. When what we need to look at is spiritual first. God, what do you have to say about this? Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach, is an embarrassing humiliation to any nation. I want to close with what happened to me a few weeks ago. I was uh, going to the department store on June 19th, walked up to this door, pulled on the door, didn't notice all the lights were out in a well-known department store. I thought, that's weird. Looked at, looked at the signage around. There was this little sign, just a little, little sign. You had to be real close to see it. It said, we are closed to observe Juneteenth holiday. To be honest with you, I didn't know what Juneteenth was. Never heard of it in my life. Because of my white-oriented education, I'd never heard of that day before. But it was an African-American holiday. And this store chose to observe it and, and honor that day. And I thought, what does that day mean? And I had to look it up. And it's actually the day that slaves were liberated. The last slaves were liberated across our land. And... I fact-checked it because I thought, no, no, no. The Emancipation Proclamation, whenever whenever Abraham Lincoln on, on January 1st in 1863, that's when slaves were set free. No. That's when they were declared free in 1863, in January 1st. But it was two years and six months later, on June 19th, the day I went and pulled on that department store door, and got an education in 1865 that the last slaves were freed in a little town outside of Galveston, Texas. And they were the last known slaves across our American land. And here's what I learned from that. It was two years and six months from the time that they were set free on paper to the time that they were found and experienced freedom in their life. There's a lot of people in this world that are set free on paper of the sin of their life, of the darkness and the slavery of their life. But they have never found freedom in their life. They're walking and they're living slave to their sins. My friends, don't hear the word sin and run from me and tune me out and tune in something else. Hear that as 
a dangerous self-deception narcotic that tranquilizes and disorients your spiritual central nervous system. It is a cancer that kills. And when it kills, it kills for all eternity. And that Jesus Christ came to set you free. And if you right now where you're sitting in your living room, if you're on a boat, if you're in a, in a, on a trail, watching us online, wherever you are, a coffee shop, listen, you right now where you're at can pray to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I want you to set me free. If you will set me free, I'm free indeed. I want to be set free. Let Jesus set you free. And find the freedom that only Christ can give. And don't wait two years and six months to walk in it. Walk in it today. Because you want to be a great person? Let me tell you how. You're going to be great when righteousness marks you. You're going to be great whenever the sin is removed from your life. What's going to make this gracious Nate? It's not going to be President Trump. It's not going to be Joe Biden. It's going to be when righteousness marks our country. That's what makes us great. And it's whenever we get the sin out of our lives, our offices, out of our places, out of our mindset, and we walk free in Christ. If you want to talk with somebody about your own spiritual journey, text 97000, text GPC Connect, and we will connect with you. One of our pastors will reach out to you, and we want to connect and pray and walk with you through a spiritual journey and begin that journey. I mean, that journey is a journey that starts today, recognizing that Jesus is our ultimate authority in life. Walk in it. Live in it. Let's stand. Let's celebrate. Let's sing it right here and now. Would you worship with us?